see a lot of this spiritual warfare that is taking place in the country in Nepal they say that most of the majority of the christians are converted uh, i mean the people have converted to christianity because of uh, some they have got healed from sickness and also got healed from from possessions okay they have been delivered from that so deliverance and healing is the primary reason for for people converting to christianity This is Out of the Margins podcast. The podcast space, especially in the Christian world, is saturated by Western voices. But if we want a diversity of thought to face the future together, we need to step back and hear voices from out of the margins. Here, we will be offering insights from experiences and perspectives from the majority world. My name is Edgar. And I'm Simon. And on each episode, we will be bringing to you our conversations with pastors, leaders, and scholars from the majority world. This podcast is brought to you by Young Langham Australia. Ephesians 6.12 states that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. These words of the Bible are supposed to be universal. They should apply to every single Christian around the world. However, depending on the context that you find yourself in, these words might be not as relevant to you. In a secular society, the supernatural is not something that people pay attention much to. It might even make people chuckle to the thought of someone being demon-possessed, for example, because it feels out of touch. But don't take my word for granted. Here's Simon. So I'm going to be honest, Ed, that I'm a little bit nervous about the subject of spiritual reality in the world today. There are two big things that influence my understanding of the world. The first is that as a Westerner, I really do come from a materialist and a skeptical perspective. And so that makes me struggle with the concept of spiritual reality. And the second thing is that I come from the position of a reformed evangelical who, for worse, I think sometimes, dismisses everything involved with the Pentecostal movement out of hand. So because of some of the more pernicious aspects of the Pentecostal movement, I think sometimes we don't want to confront spiritual reality because we think it's too involved with Pentecostalism. But... I think I need to be really, really open to this because, first of all, it if we dismiss this out of hand, we dismiss the experiences of our majority world brothers and sisters, very real experiences that they have. And second, we really dismiss the reality and worldview presented by Scripture. And so I think it's really important that I hear more. And I'm really looking forward to learning more from you um, and from our guests today, Edgar. I am excited too. I'll be interviewing Karuna from Nepal and Winnie from Hong Kong. And we are talking about spiritual warfare. 
I'm Karuna Sharma, uh, now st- living in Kathmandu. Karuna is a Langham scholar pursuing her PhD at the Oxford Center for Mission Studies. And I'm married. I have two children, two boys. One is nine years old and the other one is two years, just turned two uh, last week. So me and my husband, Ashis, we both uh, serve in Nepal Theological College. My husband is from India and uh, I'm a Nepali uh, living in Nepal. So my parents, they are also from theological background. My father also has uh, done his uh, doctorate studies in religion and uh, and we are kind of, you know, are more interested in, in biblical studies. So, uh, so in fact, I was born and brought up in a Christian family. But my father, he was my father who accepted Christ at the age of 15. During that time, he says that there were only 500 people all over Nepal as a Christian. So, he is one of the early Christians of the country. Nepal is a country where majority of the population is Hindu. According to Wikipedia, 81.19% of the population is Hindu. This is the highest percentage of Hindus in any other country in the world. Also from the trustworthy Wikipedia, only 1.4% of the population in Nepal is Christian. By the way, if you don't trust Wikipedia, well, just trust Karuna. Continue. Mm-hmm. Like in Nepal, as we, I think some of people also know that it is a Hindu-dominating country. So say, till till 2007, it was it was a Hindu-dominated country. It was a Hindu kingdom in the world, only Hindu kingdom in the world. So there's a lot of influence of you know Hinduism in the country. Like we have about 81% of of Hindus, then Buddhist and animist religion or traditional list are majority in the in the country. See, I told you. So the minor religions are very few. So because of that, there's a lot of you know ancestor worship, a lot of spirit worship, a lot of you know the the whole belief of you know traditional healers or witch doctors and you know those things are existing in the country and uh, because the religion is even the culture a nepali culture some of the nepali cultures are very much you know grounded in the religious beliefs okay so so the belief system the spiritual world is of of our country is a very much deeper deeply you know seen by the by the hindu beliefs and traditional systems in the country like I was telling that there is a lot of, you know, which I mean, a lot of uh, traditional healers, a uh, lot of ancestor worship that takes place. So the family has their own ancestor, their God, family God. And and uh, they believe that, you know, that uh, they have to please the family God. They should not go against uh, their family God. They should not go against their their ancestral worship that is taking place. So in Nepal, uh, Nepal, we have a famous saying that if uh, there is 30 million people, then there are 300 millions gods. Hinduism is a polytheistic religion. There is this belief that there are around 330 million gods. This is a hyperbolic figure, which is to make the point that the Hindu pantheon contains literally hundreds and hundreds of different deities, and they are believed to be all around. So... So everything is, I mean, is is God, like the sun is God, the nature is God, tree is God, river is God. 
and and also the the aspect of his god is because they have a fear like for example they they have a fear of of that river and if they start worshiping the river then the river is you know able to protect them in hinduism the understanding is that the gods are to be a peace and people see themselves to be subject to the whims of the gods so these gods are not interested in the good of the people so much as to be pleased And so it's a task of people to find out what the gods want and how to make them happy. The the for them to be afraid means that the 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 gods and goddesses have power and you know they can destroy their life. They can bring punishment in their life, right? So so being afraid means like being having a fear, having a fear for protection, right? So if you are fearful, if you if you do not to harm the gods and goddesses if you please them then there is a kind of a safety that you will have you would be safe you know you would be protected you won't be attacked by by them even though there are like three supreme god brahma vishnu and maheshwara they say it but uh, but there are many 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 gods and goddesses that they they worship so another thing in nepal what you find is that even people who are buddhist they also has celebrate the hindu festivals so there is a mixture of hinduism and buddhism you know in some some community they they worship buddha and they also worship the hindu gods and goddesses so they are not just only buddha but but also have worship and then and then follow the hindu gods and goddesses this world view sees the gods and spiritual attacks as the ultimate cause of life's problems so to be free from such problems and struggles one needs to neutralize these spiritual attacks so it's not uncommon to call upon the witch doctor to diagnose the source of the problem and to provide a way out yeah sometimes i mean i mean what they feel is like if there have they have been like certain situations that they go through like challenges that they go through then they feel maybe it's a punishment from god maybe you know god is doing it because they are not following the way so mainly as we look into like different religions there is fear fear of being attacked and in order to do that there is you know pleasing pleasing to so even like people they go to the traditional healers and you know they say that they have been into this bondage they feel burden they feel their sickness is there for so many years and they are not able to get healed and there is a lot of you know a lot of rituals done on that a lot of things done on that in order to to release them from that or in order to have a good life you know and so in the midst of this society where hinduism is the main religion and where people are seeking witch doctors and traditional healers to solve their problems we need to ask ourselves this question how is christianity how is the lord jesus christ the holy spirit working in this context so so we see a lot of this spiritual warfare that is taking place in the country and many people who have in nepal they say that uh, most of the majority of the christians are converted uh, i mean the people have converted to christianity because of uh, some they have got healed from sickness and also got healed from from possessions okay they have been delivered from that so deliverance and healing is the primary reason for for people converting to christianity because they found a kind of you know being released being free 
and from the bondages from the from the practices that was taking place and those things that was there you know which was not helping them to released so christianity also in nepal has uh, is one of the causes of people converting to this religion is because of this this healing and deliverance that has been taking place we have been from our childhood we have been hearing people you know sharing their own stories of the the struggles are the you know the, the the growth that happened in 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 christianity since 1950s and because there has been stories of people you know listening to stories of people we have got to know that people had been in real struggle they had been in physically you know sick for a long time going to different traditional healers witchcrafters witch doctors and you know going to hospitals and 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 they have they were not healed in any of those places and in some cases even the traditional healers have said that okay now you have not got healed so now you go to the church and you will be healed so these people come to the church and they are healed and not just them but the family has converted uh, the family have come to Christ and in some cases even the society the community where they live have uh, come to faith so so because of that there have been a rapid growth in the country so the government census of 21 and 2001 to 2011 says that there has been 265% of growth in christianity back home in mexico i can think of some stories where people have been delivered and healed so i can relate to this topic and, and to these stories that Karuna is sharing. In fact, one of my brothers converted to Christianity after seeing a demon-possessed person being delivered quite powerfully by God through a pastor. So I am aware that for me this topic I'm comfortable with and I am also aware that for some listeners perhaps if you're listening from Australia for example this topic might make you feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. This is exactly what we're trying to do here in this podcast to show you how God is at work and how spiritual warfare is waged in a more perhaps more tangible way in different parts of the world. Recently there was an incident that an old lady was was brought to a church and she was sick from a long long time and and she went to a lot of hospitals a lot of traditional healers places and then and then she was not healed and then then one one traditional healer said that you have not you know if you have done so much and still you are facing this so you go to church and try so she came to church and she was delivered in the church and she is a, a very active member in the church and she was sharing a testimony that how for the last many years she was been into this warfare you know and then she has been delivered on delivered and been healed completely and now how she is living transformative life so those are the stories that we hear even today so it's not just in the past in the time when the christianity took you know started but even today i mean when we go to different churches we see people being you know uh, breaking their chains of those bondages being healed a demon coming out uh, you know and then 
you know, when we are, you know, casting out those demons, we we, we see that. A small incident that happened just near to the place where we live. I mean, in, in, in our community, we used to always have a prayer fellowship. And there was a particular family who lived very nearby to the to the place where we served. And this family, when we started the, you know, the worship in the in the in in the in the place, this family used, you know, there was a lot of problems that was going on in this family. And one day, one of the elder brother of that family came and and requested us to come and pray for that family. Because in Nepal, what happens is that people are very much free to call us to pray if they get in need. So there's a kind of openness towards that. So this family, they called us and the elder brother called us and they said that, why don't you come and pray? So when we went there, I mean, a few of our students and we went there to pray. And then there was a strong, you know, bondage that they had, the, 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 the you know, the struggles that they had been going through as a family. And then in that family, the, the, the younger brother also had passed away. Father and mother had passed away. And this family was struggling a lot. And then we started praying for this family. And there was a lot of deliverance that was taking place in this family. There were four brothers and sisters. And after that, with a lot of prayer, and we even invited him to our worship center. They started coming and praying and they got delivered. And now this family is living a very good Christian life. Uh, all four of them have accepted Christ. The girl has been married in a Christian family and the brothers and sister is having a good life. And what the elder brother was said was that if we had not accepted Christ, if we had not known about Christ, then maybe we all would have died. Right. And the small incident. Something to understand about this healing and deliverance taking place is that people see God's power over the many gods. Similar to the story in Exodus when God brought the plagues to Egypt to show his strength and how more powerful he was over the gods of Egypt. So in Nepal with someone is being delivered. This is understood within this context of the Hindu pantheon and it does not go unnoticed that Jesus Christ has power and that he, in fact, is Lord over all. Things that they, it was, you know, affecting them, it was, you know, uh, really uh, attacking them, um, is now released. They have been, that has been cast out, that had been delivered, and they feel a new life, and that struggle is gone. Because uh, what I understand, okay, the, even the, the traditional healer, when they pray for, I mean, they also, they also believe in healing. Okay, the traditional healer also believe in healing, but their healing is mainly to calm the spirit. Their healing is mainly to to appease the you know the the spirit and calm them. But the spirit has not left them, right? So the spirit will not trouble them because of the sacrifices that they have done. You know, there's a lot of sacrifices that they have to make. The healer will say, "You bring this," you know, especially in the in the in the worship. There's a lot of sacrifice. But the demon is not really cast out from them. It is inside within them, but that is, you know, made silent so that it won't trouble them. Okay. So again, after many, after maybe a few months, few years, again, the demon, you know, the evil spirit started, you know, again, you know, there is a lot of, again, there's need and then there is again sacrifice done and then again there is come. But in Christianity, what we, I, I, believe is that the demon is not made calm but the demon is 
cast out. It's the person is delivered completely. So then there is a new life in that person. And and I have seen people, you know, having that that experience, that transformation, complete healing and being a new person. So so those things that had been affecting them, those bondages that had been affecting them has been released. It the, the chains has been broken, right? There's no more chain. This might not be your experience with spiritual warfare, and Karuna is also aware of that. So She shared some last words to the Western Church. One thing is that I I would uh, really encourage the Western countries to really understand that this is real and um, and this is happening. Right? People are facing spiritual warfare's and uh, and people are being delivered from that also. You know, from the bondages of 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 many things that they had fa been facing in the in the past. And you hear life testimonies even today of how people are being you know released and then being transformed and being having a new life so it is real and and i believe that the western churches should not deny this aspect rather they should understand that there is spiritual encounters taking place and then the church has to be you know yeah some churches i'm not saying all the churches deny that some churches might deny that those those aspects now but what what i i always see is that many missionaries many many western people they come to nepal And when they see these things happening in Nepal, for some it has even been a life-changing event also. I mean, they had not seen that before. And when they see this happening in Nepal and when they experience that in the in the churches that they see, in the, in the community that they see, I have heard uh, many of my friends saying that we have never seen this kind of things before. You know, it's it's really happening. And, and some of them even say that, you know, the New Testament, early church things are happening in the country. Maybe not, maybe the, the whole idea of spiritual warfare and then things that are taking place in the in the Asian countries. I mean, especially in South Asian or especially in Nepal, when I'm talking about Nepal, I mean, I mean, these things are happening. And, and what I feel is that, I mean, the world needs to know. And now what is happening is that the New Age movement, Uh, like uh, you know the accepting of a lot of ritual aspects of life like yoga and then you know the whole idea of indian gurus and then bringing the you know in the university level especially right it is really you know changing people's perspective changing people's understanding like so i think uh, those things also have to be understood that whether it is culture or whether it is religiously rooted Because sometimes we we just listen it as a culture, we just listen it as a meditation, like for example about the about the aspect of yoga and other things, you know, that is happening, you know. Sometimes it's 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 whether it is really only a meditation thing to to you, you know, for your mindfulness or those things, or whether there is a deeply rooted religious aspect in that. I think that has to be really understood by the by the Western countries. And uh, and even in the university level, especially the younger generations, right? So even in Nepal, also sometimes people people have difficulty in really differentiating between culture and and religion, right? Because it's so much intertwined together that that we have to really you know uh, put lenses and then see whether this is religion or whether this is culture. So I think really understanding that is important and 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 uh, giving being mindful of that is important. And there is spiritual warfare. And there is healing and deliverance and new life that people are experiencing in, in the country of Nepal. Let's pause there. Because, drum roll please. 
tea story time. Let's find out how Karuna and Winnie drink their tea. The thing is that we Nepali people enjoy drinking tea more than coffee. So tea, like if you go to anybody's house, they offer you tea and especially with a milk tea, like and also masala tea, usually a masala tea. So we put a lot of spices in that and then, you know, not just pour milk and then serve, but then boil milk with the water, pour some spices on that, put some spices, put sugar and then and then tea leaves and just let the aroma come out of the you know the and then serve the tea so that's usually done even even in the in the ruler setting of of Kathmandu. but now because of this tea bag that has come in like many people prefer to drink in in the city prefer to use tea bags uh, it's easy especially for black tea <laughs> tea bags done great in tea huh. i didn't see that coming Let's find out now how Winnie drinks her tea. I come from Hong Kong and I I think I'm quite affected by the British culture. So in Hong Kong we drink tea with milk and but the tea is very yes the tea is very different. It's not the early grade tea that we have a much stronger and blander tea leaves in Hong Kong. So we will cut it into very fine texture and blend it. And then together we put it eggshell in it. And then we'll, yeah, hot water and then, yeah, make our milk. We won't use fresh milk, but we use distilled milk. Yeah, so it is a very strong, strong taste and it keep you awake for a whole day. <laughs> how, how about sugar? Yeah, we put sugar. We should we put sugar. It's upon your preference. You can have like two or three teaspoons of sugar. For me, I just put half. Eggshells in a tea. I just had to Google this. So here's what I found. Here's the headline. If you love eggs and you love art, surely you will love making and eating Chinese tea eggs. Huh. Promising, promising. Well, I like eggs. So according to this website, goldenmoontea.com, the eggshell is actually the most important part of the tea because it helps to remove the bitterness of the tea and while adding the silk-like texture that is mandatory in any decent milk tea. So there you go. I'll be keen to try. <laughs> Now let's listen to the conversation with Winnie about spiritual warfare in Hong Kong. Hello everybody, my name is Winnie. I'm uh, from Hong Kong and... Winnie is also a Langham Scholar, studying her PhD at Oxford Center for Mission Studies. I've been missionary uh, with my husband, uh, working in Japan since 2014. While well, time flies, it has been, well, nearly five years. And we have a passion to serve in a Japanese church, not in the urban area, but in a rural area like the countryside, far apart in the inland area. And now we are serving in Hokkaido, northern part in Hokkaido. Folk religion is prevalent in Hong Kong. Buddhist practices and ancestral worship are a staple in this context. What that means is that they are not so focused on organized religion with doctrines and creeds as we understand in Christianity, but they are more focused on practices and rituals, and the worldview of the spiritual dimension being part of the daily life. 
As you all may know that Hong Kong is a metropolitan and is an international sea, but I have to say that the understanding of spiritual world in Hong Kong is also very influenced by Buddhism. It's deeply embedded in the thinking, particularly in my generation. It's like the spiritual warfare is living side by side in our life. Let me give you one example that I experienced in my childhood. So my parents lived with my grandmom when I was small. But because of certain issues, my parents need to find another place to live urgently. So they happened to find a haunt house. Because it was at that time, yes, and how to house with a ghost. Because at that time, it was such an urgent, like they need to find a place in you know, urgent, urgently. And, and the neighbors told them, well, there is a place available, but somebody died there before. And always something strange happened in that house. But because my parents have no choice and we need to live in that house but something strange then happened like you know in the old days the television set is so was so big so I was a very small child like one year old you know I was not very like strong to pull the big the huge television set but the television set was just so happened to fall onto my hat and then my parents like um carried me uh, uh, to the hospital and surprisingly I was Okay, nothing bad. You see, I I I look smart. I look smart. <laughs> I can talk to you like normal. So that is one of the strange thing happening in that house. And another thing is that every night my elder brother will had a stomach ache every night in the midnight. Yes, he he has been going to the hospital, but the doctor said, well, nothing. He is okay. Nothing strange with him. So. Until then, my parents were told that, well, you need to worship the idol, a certain idol. And then they did it. And afterwards, it seems that the house, the spirit has gone and peaceful life can be, could be maintained. So uh, that is one of the things that very normal, like we experienced that. Winnie explains that this was of common knowledge in the neighborhood, that there was a spirit living in that house. And so... When the strange things started to happen, the obvious explanation, the duh, obviously, was that the spirit was the one who pushed the TV. The spirit was causing Winnie's older brother to have the stomach ache. It was the obvious answer. Ancestors worship in Hong Kong, we consider our ancestor partly as gods and partly as some, somebody we respect. As a family. So in one sense, we'll pray to our ancestors, hoping that they will protect the family and our generations and the generations. And on the other hand, we show our love and respect and our remembrance to our ancestors. So we also will provide food, mm. provide the things mm. they like <laughs> when they are alive. It's just like, just like the Mexican, right? In Mexico, we celebrate what is known as El Día de los Muertos, or in English, the Day of the Dead. And this celebration is all about the dead family members. During this short period of time, 24 hours, it is believed that the soul of the deceased relative returns to the living world 
to feast and to have a family reunion, basically. And so the family treats the dead as honored guests. They prepare their favorite food and put up some photos to remember the dead. And they have this, what is called ofrendas, where they pull all this, the food and the photos. If you have watched the movie James Bond Spectre, there is this scene at the beginning of the movie where the, there is a huge parade in Mexico City celebrating the Day of the Dead. That's just not the way it is, I, I swear. The way it happens is that family put their ofrendas at their homes, at the tombs in the cemetery. And the whole event is, is about family and the family eat together and they also invite neighbors and friends to feast together. And by the way, I think that this also plays into the worldview that we have where there is this blur line between the physical world and the spiritual. They're more like merge. And we'll talk to them. We'll say, we'll tell them, well, the recent report of our family, what we're yeah. looking forward to, <laughs> hoping that they will grant to us, you know, yeah. this kind of silly, silly talk. Yeah, so... So when becoming a Christians, it's to, we need to be aware that we, we, we cut off the God worship, worship being our ancestor and God, we cut out that. But we still need to remain and respect as a Christians that we love our ancestor. We still have mm. connection and relationship with them. As a Christian, we can still love our ancestor and show our respects. So even if we visit a tomb, or, or, or like pray to our ancestor. We're just like talking to them with the family. So mm. we need to respect that in our Asian culture, it's not yeah. worship, worship, but it's a connection with our ancestor. That is very important. Another aspect of the spiritual landscape in Hong Kong is harmony. Things being in the right place. There is this energy or cosmic current chi that if follow you will live a good life a harmonious and prosperous life <laughs> well if talking about the spiritual thing i think we need to admit that we are a modern city on one hand but we also believe that we are controlled by the spiritual world like if we do if we don't do things properly or in the correct way, we'll have bad luck. Like we believe in feng shui. So I guess you know what is feng shui, like, like for businessmen and for particular for those who work in the construction industry, they believe strongly in feng shui. So they need to put things like even the decoration in the office properly so that to ensure that they will have a prospect a business and safety in the construction. So that is something that we are like afraid of if we don't do our things properly. Like for me, myself, as I mentioned that my parents live in a haunted house and because they, after they worship the idols and the, the family seems to be very living peacefully, so they became very superstitious. So for me, I also become very superstitious. So I, I, I went to temple, I worship idols, or like I make 
the paper stalls in a jar, and then before I took examination, I would pray to the like the, the jar or stalls, and then pray for my good uh, results of the examination. Those kind of things. So it's such strange thinking that uh, affecting me to invite spirit in my life, in myself. So because as I said, spiritual spirits are so close to us in our life. So if I'm from a very superstitious family, so naturally I would think that, well, praying to ancestors, praying to idols, praying to gods, it's normal, like, to ask for protection, to ask for good prospect. It's very different from the West, and naturally they will think about Jesus. Naturally they will go to church, because I have such kind of options. I will follow my parents' options, like going to the temple, the Buddhist temple. So, Winnie, can you please tell us when and how you converted to Christianity? Well, my conversion story is also very, like, related to the spiritual warfare. As I said, my parents are very superstitious. They will offer sacrifice um, in, in the festivals. So in one festival, when my father was preparing the sacrifice, he accidentally cut his finger. It was a, a big accident for, for us as a family. Then I start, uh, at that time, I was a primary student, I think. Yeah. Um, so I think, well, if that's God, that God really protect my family and we have been offering sacrifice to this God but if he had been if he protect our family such accident such accident will not be happened shouldn't happened so that is the the incident that led me to think of who should be the real God what is the real God what is a loving God that I should put my belief on So that is the incident that for me to start thinking and seeking about uh, Christianity. And I have a friend in my school who is a Christian, and she started to invite me to church, to her fellowship, and then Bible study. And then afterwards, I became a Christian when I was in high school. So could you notice any differences then between the idols and the God of the Bible? Yeah, that is a very different because at my age, at that time, I have been thinking of who is the creator, who created well, isn't not the God that I have been worshipping, the ancestor that I have been worshipping. That is one thing. As is, and only Christianity tell me who is the creator. And the other thing is that Jesus, for his unfailing love, yeah, I can pray to him and I can talk to him. It's not like the gods that I have been worshipping in my childhood who I only offer things to him and I couldn't talk to him, no response from him. So that is very different. That led me to experience that Jesus is a living God that I can communicate as a like human and God. I can We can communicate. It's not like a dead that ancestor, that idol. So that experience is very different. Winnie says that because of these spiritual practices and family background, when someone converts to Christianity, the pastors, they need to know 
What are the connections with the idols and gods so that they can make sure that there is no bondage with these spirits? Like before somebody, the believers, be baptized, will have a, take a course. And at the end of the course, the pastor will ask, have you ever been submitted to the spirits or certain religion? I think this kind of question won't be asked by pastor in the Western world because they haven't, like, it's hard for them to imagine that. But for us in Asian culture, even in Hong Kong as an international city, we, we need to admit that we have this tradition. Like for the children, when they are weak and they are sick in the childhood, and we are told to drink certain water that are mixed with the incense, the incense to the gods, sacrifice to the gods, and then for the ash and mix it with the water and we will drink it and we'll be healthy. And some of the children will be submitted, like submitting to certain idols and gods. And when they grow up and they de decided to become a Christians, it doesn't necessarily mean that those spirits or those gods are not inside their life. So before the baptism, the pastors will ask, do you have such kind of experience or have you been submitted to those spirits or gods? If so, the pastor will need to do something about that, like for prayer, to cast off the demons, to cast off the spirits. So these are the special things that the church need to deal with. And the other thing is that the pastor do something for us, like as I mentioned, for uh, ancestors' worship, we have uh, like an altar in our house to worship the gods and to worship our ancestors. So for those who have been like worshiping these kind of things for a long time, and when they become a Christian and they need to get rid of that, the pastors need to first clarify the faith of that young Christians and then asking for their determination to get rid of the altar. And then on that spot, they need to broke that altar and that's what, so that they see that now you have made a decision and the determination and the whole order need to be broken into pieces and then throw it away to get rid of it. Otherwise, the spirits will still stay in the house and it's not good for them like to have a mix of those two religions, Christianities and spirit worship. This really proves that God is mighty in changing people's lives. My mom's also bear a lot of like difficulties and afflictions. But when I think when she see that how her daughter has changed her life uh, with joy, I think that is a powerful testimony for her to see this is a living God and is a mighty God that can change people. It's not like the idols. This spiritual struggle transcends cultures. And while here we focus on this particular context of Nepal and Hong Kong, where there are hundreds of gods and ancestral worship, and therefore a spiritual warfare looks like in a particular way. See, I, I hope that you won't go away thinking that this kind of spiritual warfare only happens in contexts like this, but that you'll realize that idols are everywhere. In a context like in the West, those idols might look like money, productivity, or a comfortable life. 
anything that tries to pull us away from God, from knowing God, all of those are still idols. So I, I invite you to keep reflecting on your own life, on how spiritual warfare is waged. Thanks, Edgar. I, I think that's really important to recognize. And I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is that the concept of spiritual warfare and the reality of the existence of the spiritual world and its impact on our physical world here is that every conversation that I've had about it has been primarily academic. So it's been a debate about whether cessationism is a good biblical principle, whether things happen in certain churches. But really, for me, it's been something along the lines of an intellectual discussion that I've had. But what this has really helped me to realize is that for a lot of people, this is a very tangible reality that spiritual warfare is something that causes people pain and suffering and hardship and so i think it behooves us as as western skeptics to just be open to people's struggles because ultimately it's very real experience and so to love people well is to hear their stories and to trust their experiences and to share with them and work through them as they experience very real pain and hardship so that's what i'm going to do taking this away i'm still struggling with these concepts but i want to be open and loving to our brothers and sisters in the majority world, but here in our own neighborhoods too, as we all experience spiritual warfare in different ways. Thank you so much, Simon. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode. If you found this episode insightful, please don't forget to subscribe and share it with friends and families so that others can know about the podcast. So the next episode will actually really be a great connection to this current episode. So we've talked about animism today. We've talked about people's struggles with working with people who have Buddhist beliefs. We are going to be talking about how do we interact as Christians with people from other faiths. So look forward to that. Start thinking about some of the struggles and challenges you have here in the West and some of the struggles and challenges we might hear from people in the majority world. We'll see you next time.